0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn,
2: Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're doing a special pre-record today at Jimmy's number 43 with Hugh Sisson, the founder of Heavy Seas Brewing from Baltimore, Maryland. Hugh, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you very much. Glad to be here. And all the pirate glory. So, cheers.
2: So you're, you're a legend, you know. You're, you're Baltimore, Maryland. The the Ravens won the Super Bowl.
3: We get lucky every now and then. And
2: people are starting to talk about Maryland again.
3: Well, they're actually beginning to talk about the Baltimore Orioles, which may be a sore subject here, but it certainly warms the cockles of me heart does.
2: That's great. So you, you have a good story. So uh, tell us how you got started. Um, apparently, when you started, you couldn't make beer in Maryland.
3: Um, well, I was um, yeah, I was in the family was in the bar restaurant business for 15 years uh... the pub that my family owned became sort of a beer joint this is way early in the days. So this is like nineteen eighty uh... i think we were the first draft Guinness account in the state of maryland for example so we decided in the mid eighties that we wanted to go into being a, a a brew pub which was really a radical concept at the time it wasn't legal we had to get a bill passed in the maryland legislature Uh, which we got done in 1987, much to my surprise, and uh, so we decided if we got the damn work done, we better be the first guys to get it done. So we opened uh, Maryland's first brew pub in uh, August of 1989.
2: Were there other microbreweries in Maryland at the time? There was
3: one other. um, It was a company called, oh, gosh, drawn a lot I can't remember the name of it anymore because they're gone so uh <clears throat> yeah there were there were a couple of other small breweries we were we were easily the first brew pub there was somebody else who opened I think four or five months after we did and of course now brew pubs are, are almost commonplace but uh.
2: and we're also here with Ken Zuckerman who's marketing for Heavy Seas Brewery welcome Ken
4: thank you very much happy to be here
2: Ken tell us uh, what we're drinking today all
4: right so you're starting off with uh the flagship brand uh for for Heavy Seas the the loose cannon. Uh, in my opinion, uh, it's been a go-to favorite of mine. I live in Boston, actually, for, for quite a while. It, it has that perfect balance between the grapefruit, <clears throat> That you get at a, at a hops um, as well as the pine, a little higher on the alcohol uh, end. Oh, So yeah, you know, I just uh, wouldn't have uh, too many too many of these Enough. before operating a motor motor vehicle. But um, I, I love IPAs that are really really balanced, I, uh, and I love the, the great. I've, I've had this
2: before, and before. I've, I've had it on draft, and it's really popular.
3: Yeah, it, it does really well for us. I think the focus that we've really yeah. tried to take with this beer is to get the balanced flavors. Too many IPAs are so focused wow. on the bitterness. And to me, if it it doesn't make you want to have a second beer, that's not a a winning proposition, either for the restaurant owner or for the brewery owner. So we want them to be balanced enough and go well enough with food that it's kind of, uh, is a, a, you know, ask you for the second beer. That's what it's all about.
2: So let's go back to the beginning. So Mm -hmm. you've changed some legislation. So I got
3: the legislation changed, and then we had the family brew pub, and I ran that for... Uh, Another five years, and then in 1994, I decided to leave to go just focus on the beer side. Uh, So it took me a year to write the business plan, raise the money, et cetera, and build the facility. Uh, And so we started Clipper City Brewing Company, which is the corporate name of my company, uh, in December of 1995. So we're a little over 17 years in. (laughs) Great. And um, how did you guys grow, I mean, from a brew pub to, to being distributed in New York and other states? Well, it, it's a long, slow process. I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. We, <clears throat> our first brand was called Clipper City. Uh, we acquired another company called the Oxford Brewing Company about three years in. And then uh, I guess about nine or ten years ago, we decided we wanted to create a third brand, which was called Heavy Seas. And the Heavy Seas brand was easily the most successful of our brands. So we, about three years ago, decided to roll everything under the Heavy Seas brand name and eliminated the Clipper City and the Oxford product lines. And uh, that's just been, it's been a great story. I mean, you know, it's a pirate theme. Who the hell doesn't like pirates? You know, we hand out eye patches when we do promotions and stuff like that. And I have yet to find anybody, even if they were not drinking my beer, who didn't want the damn eye patch. So what, what other beers did you bring us today? We brought you a couple of really interesting things. I mean, we had the loose cannon to start. I have uh, a beer called Plank 2, which is from a special project that we do. Um, this is pretty interesting. This is, um, what we do with this is, it's almost a deconstructed kind of beer. Um, instead of putting the beer in the barrel, we put the barrel in the beer. And the idea here is to do things with beer and wood that have never been done before. So this particular beer, we made a German-style Doppelbach base, and then we aged it for, I think, about another eight weeks on a combination of poplar and eucalyptus wood boards or planks that were retified, which means that they're kilned about a third of the way to, to charcoal. So what you get is this really nice malty beer, with these really nice, subtle, slightly smoky, and then rounded wood tones that come through in the finish. This was chosen by Draft Magazine and one of the top 25 beers of 2012. I'll tell
2: you, it's really nice, and when <clears> I saw <throat> the label, it said Doppelbach, I, I was intrigued, because I think that's a great style. It, it is they, a great style. Did a great job. Thank you. So we yeah, we, we like can toast on there and clink So you so got um, plank and, and Ken, how did you start working with, with these guys?
4: I had met Hugh uh, quite Quite a while, quite a while ago. I used to actually work for for Draft Magazine uh, as as well. Uh, I've always loved that intersection of craft beer and food pairing. Certainly, your restaurant has really distinguished itself in that in that uh, arena. And what really attracted me to Heavy Seas, besides the overall quality of the beers, is for a fairly you know small to middle sized brewery and quickly growing now. They make an incredibly wide range of great beer, beer styles, which lots of other breweries do not, do not do. So I really respected the fact that they, they were adopting and, and putting out so many great examples of different beer styles, but always with like an American twist, uh, to them. So Hugh and I sort of met, I've, I've reached out to Hugh a couple times, involved in some other events that I've done in the craft, uh, brewing industry. And I, I just think Hugh, particularly with his background, uh, uh very, very wine based, as well as beer-based and food, he's sort of that, that perfect storm of all those pieces coming. Ie the perfect storm. That's it. right. The pirate. Right.
2: So you started with the brew pub, and do you still have the brew pub?
3: No, I, I don't. Uh, that was a family thing, and then after I left, they eventually sold it. Uh, we do have a trademark licensing arrangement with a a heavy seas ale house in the Baltimore area, so we do have a a flagship sort of uh, retail platform that we can point to, uh, and. With any luck, we'll be opening some more locations for that. But, so I'm not in the restaurant business. So, I don't get the phone calls when the toilet backs so <laughs> up. I love it. So where's the brewery? It's in Baltimore? We're just outside City. of Baltimore City, uh, oh, about ODR. 10 to 12 minutes from uh, where Camden Yards is, is where the Orioles play. Uh, so it's pretty convenient. You know, It's about eight minutes from, uh, from the airport. So it's, it's a nice spot. Just big old industrial building, about 40,000 square feet. Great, so we this brew. Is nice.
2: What's the next one?
3: Uh, the next and one is it's going to be the Siren Noir. Now, this is we created a new series this year called Uncharted Waters, and the idea here is to do some interesting experimental styles. This one is an Imperial Stout that is uh, infused with Belgian chocolate flavor uh, flavors, basically by dry hopping on cocoa nibs. And then aged for four weeks in what happened to be this case, buffalo trace bourbon barrels. So you get that interesting interplay between the cocoa and then the sort of the vanilla oak characteristics with a little bit of that coconut that also comes from the vanilla oak. I think it's pretty awesome stuff. Yeah, the cocoa nibs and vanilla really come through.
2: Well, Hugh, it's it's so great that you came. Hugh's up here. uh, You don't come to New York that often, do you?
3: I actually come to New York probably, I don't know, five to nine times a year. uh, And be coming a little more often, I'm looking forward to that. That's
2: great. No, thanks for taking the time. I mean, we got a call. We're not doing our regular show today. We're, we're here in the back room at Jimmy's number 43, and we're sitting with Brie O'Connor, the producer, and uh, we're tasting through the Heavy Seas line. Do you guys have other beers that are just more sessionable?
3: Oh, yeah. We these, have, these, I mean, like,
2: these are really the, awesome beers. This these, is a
3: These are the great big ones, line. but if you look at the overall portfolio, we have six year-round beers, three of which are uh, you know in the 5% ABV range. So all of our seasonals tend to be a little higher in the ABV, and our flagship beer, the Loose Cannon, is at 7%. And then we move up from there. But the other thing that we are pretty big on <clears throat> is we are probably the largest producer of cask-conditioned beer in the, in the country. And obviously, be, when we do that, we do a lot of our lower ABV, the, the Pale Ale, et cetera, is also available in that format. So,
2: Did you come up to New York for Casco Fest? I didn't. Yeah, when was it? There's a, well, there's one at DBA that that happens once or twice a year. DBA in Williamsburg. That's mm-hmm. pretty great. Um, there haven't really been too many other regular cast fests.
3: Well, we're getting more and more involved in that. We own, uh, at this stage, we own a little over 600 firkins, and we also have 12 actual wooden barrel firkins, which are awesome. Um, so we're developing this more and more as, as, a, as a as a it's a niche area within a niche, but it's certainly. Uh, we love it. We think cask beer is the finest possible expression for draft beer, so we we like it a lot.
2: We saw in New York a few years ago there was this huge interest in cask, but we felt that breweries were just kind of putting anything in a cask and, and shipping it off. So you'd have imperial IPAs <coughs> in cask, right? And it's kind of ridiculous because we usually import some nice English casks ourselves, so, mm-hmm. like Thornbridge, right? Um, and so we've kind of I, we feel like the, that we're waiting for some more American producers to make like.
3: English style, you know. We can we can help you session with that. Scales. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> we can definitely help you with that. When you do it, do you do just put them on the bar, or do you actually put use on a beer the bar? We
2: put on the bar and do. We do gravity pour, and we have uh-huh. to go through it in two nights.
3: Right. I I'll, I'll show you something when we're off air because we've invented the first American caskerator. so you can actually put it on a beer engine, and if you hook it up correctly, the beer will last for a week to ten days. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, if
2: we want to talk about cascales. I mean, you know, in New York, there's Alex Hall and. Mm-hmm. Years he, he had the Gotham and Biber, and he was preaching, you know, the places right. that, that serve cask. And when we opened, we, we we got a small system from him. But there are a couple of things: one, that the system didn't really work, mm-hmm. and the other thing was I didn't really think the styles of beer were consistent. You know, it really, was just, Like I said there'd be an Imperial IPA and Imperial Stout. It was just too off the chart for me. I, I kind of I'm a purist. I think I like cask ales that are you know sessionable bitters pale ales.
3: I, I like them, although I got to tell you, the loose cannon and cask format is amazing. I mean, it's seven percent, a little over that, but it's truly an amazing beer. I like it a lot. Can you tell? No, I <laughs> <laughs> Well, then we got to get you up. And, you know, we've been
2: talking yeah. about doing some I'm kind in. of cask event for a couple years. Yeah. Our friend Bruce Williams from Williams Brothers uh-huh. has been saying how he, he wants to come over here and, and, and compare American versus uh, I'm in. English. I mean, we got a
3: silver medal at the Great British Beer Festival for a cask of Loose Cannon a couple of years back, so.
4: Actually, took it to actually, the mother country. Actually, he will be meeting Alex uh, tonight, who's here for the media event that Hugh's in town for. So
3: that's great. That discussion
4: okay. a little, little more.
2: So, what's your opinion of Casp beer in America?
3: Uh, I, I think it's certainly work in progress. Um, uh, I think all of us, including ourselves, need to get a little bit better at it. Although we've been working really hard at it for a number of years now, I think it is incumbent now upon the suppliers, me. Uh, to do a lot more work educating the retailers, you, on how to properly dispense and care for the product because I've gone into too many places where, you know, the beer has clearly gone past its prime and they're still serving it, and that's not doing the consumer any good. It's not doing the public any good. It's certainly not doing the supplier any good. But I think that it's, I think it's a clear growth area in, in the category. So, I, I mean, we love it. Like I said, we're not backing down.
2: And when did you first get interested in Cascade?
3: Well, I first learned to drink beer in England in 1974, so that was kind of the beginning of it. And then uh, we've been uh, a serious producer of it now for probably nine or ten years. Uh, I had a guy working for me who, who was a, a huge lover of English-style ales, and he beat me up and beat me up and beat me up saying, you've got to do this. I said, I love it, but it'll never sell. Well, finally I took the bait, and <sighs> the rest is history.
2: It's great to hear you talk about it. I mean, it's really just what we're looking for. Like I said, a few years ago, people were getting caught up in the, the Cascade thing, and at some point, whether it was our technology, it was the, the choices of beer, it just wasn't really working for us.
3: It, 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 uh, we really look at it from the standpoint of, in every market that we do these products in, we look for three or four key retailers who are willing to, to commit to doing it right. And if they'll do it right, then we'll support the hell out of them and make sure that the beer was, that they can have consistent supply, not just ours. Obviously, we want to encourage them to try other products, but uh, that the quality will be good and that the consistency will be good. And that's the name of the game. If you're going to commit to putting a few dollars into equipment to dispense the stuff correctly, we want to make sure that we don't let you down.
2: Hey, that's really great, Hugh. Hey, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes and talk more about Cascals with Hugh Sisson from Heavy Seas on the Heritage Radio
1: Network.
3: You're listening to Andy's Biscuits by Pamela Royal on the Heritage Radio Network.org.
2: Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm here with Hugh Sisson, the founder of Heavy Seas Brewing, and we're talking about Cocoa Nibs in beer and beer in Cascales. Hugh,
3: welcome back. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So
2: what were you saying about the, the, your really great beer, the Siren Noir? It's got Cocoa Nibs.
3: It's a chocolate imperial stout that's aged in, in bourbon barrels. And what I was saying was the, um, we made a slight change in the, in the process this year when we released this beer. We just used Cocoa Nibs. There's no cocoa powder. There's no chocolate syrup. There's none of those. And it's almost like a dry hopping thing where you just put the nibs in the liquid and they have contact time. And it's a much more subtle approach, which is why when you taste the beer, it's dry. It doesn't have any sweetness per se, but the char- the, the dark chocolate character is clearly evident. Um, but it's a process. And when we were first developing this, you know, I'm drinking this beer out of the tank and I'm going,
0: My God, where's the
3: damn chocolate? I can't, I don't see it at all. But the uh, my, my uh, brewing guy basically said... Patience, Hugh. Patience, patience, and, and slowly but surely, it did come up. And what's interesting is the character has developed nicely since it's been in the bottle. So it's uh, it's coming along pretty nicely. We like it. Yeah. What did you say about it, Bree? We well,
5: like it. <laughs> I, I said it touched my girly little heart. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It sure doesn't. I just gave you a refill. <laughs> <laughs> Let that be a
4: hint to dates out there everywhere. <laughs> All right.
2: So you get by the Heavy sea Siren War <laughs> for your day.
3: Siren noir, The Black Siren.
2: The Siren War. All right. So we're talking about cast skills too. This is something I didn't know about you, and it's pretty fascinating. So tell us about your cast program and what, what you're going to do to, to really do the right thing and, and showcase your bears properly
3: well, we're doing a couple things, above and beyond the fact that we've made a pretty significant uh, economic investment into owning Cooperage, which is kind of a big deal. Um, as, I, as I think I mentioned earlier, we, you know, we also have, in addition to 600 stainless firkins, we also have 12 actual English wooden firkins. And those are cool because you get the wood nuances as well, which is sort of a whole other subset that we're, we're working on. Oh, our normal, no, under, <laughs> <one. clears throat> they are Awesome! But they only happen when we're going to be actually hand-delivering the beer because I don't trust putting a $500 barrel in the back of our distributor's delivery trucks. I mean, nothing against those guys, but they'll drop it on the sidewalk once, and that's $500 right down the crapper. But um, anyway, we have all that, but the other thing that we're really trying to focus on now is uh, the educational um, materials uh, and equipment for the retailers. And we're about to start uh... marketing uh... through our own website what we call the, the a casker which is a way of dispensing cask ale in such a way that it holds up for seven to ten days for the retailer so if you want to do cask ale and you don't want to have to worry about you know if i don't sell it in two days i gotta throw yeah. it out yeah. or the beer going off well we we have a solution for that that we can supply you with uh... that allows you to do cask ale correctly i mean cask ale properly dispensed is awesome. And cask ale improperly dispensed is, eh, okay, I'm not all that excited. So.
2: so what are the features of your caskerator?
3: Well, uh, it's um, basically it's a kegerator that's been been refit. So we uh, we create a special wooden top and we mount a beer engine on the top. Uh, and then as it goes through to tap into the cask, we've got some hardware sources that we get from a company called UK Brewing Supplies. And they can supply you with the stuff. We'll just put it all together for you. Um which is called the cask wedge and then a breather. And what in effect you do is that the wedge allows you to tap the cask sitting straight up and down not on the side like you would normally but what happens is it skims the beer off the top so that any sediment is going to stay below, right, so you're not drawing the sediment into the, uh, into the glass. Secondly, instead of allowing air to come into the vessel you allow about a pound and a half of CO2 blanket pressure so it's not enough to actually carbonate the beer, but it is enough to keep the beer from getting oxidized, and that's the whole secret to the whole thing: is don't let oxygen come in contact with the beer. If you tap it, you put it on the bar, you you know, you're, as soon as the beer starts coming out, oxygen's going into the vessel, which means that the beer is going to have you know 24 to 48 hours tops. That's not where you want to be.
2: Yeah, I've heard about these kind of systems, and I know that some bars in Europe have had using CO two and right. other, other systems. Right. I myself feel the other way about Cascale. Mm-hmm. I'm the
3: guy that I want to put it on the bar, and in mm-hmm. one night I want to go through it. Well, we like that as long as it goes through it in one night. And that's uh, you know a little program that we're trying to develop, and this could be kind of a fun thing to do, is we do cask-offs. So you get two bars in the same town or maybe two bars in different towns that have got sports teams that are going to be playing one another. And uh, they both tap a firkin at the same time, and then the first bar that empties it. You know, gets a couple of t-shirts and kind of shit like that. But it, it's uh, it's fun.
2: Well, that's what I really feel like. That's what casts up again because I feel like that for years there have been some systems like this. The mm-hmm. casker. In fact, we had a caskerator from mm-hmm. UK Brewing Supply when okay. we opened. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, you know, I'm sure there's been some changes, but after a while, it wasn't really working the way we wanted to. Mm-hmm. And, and, and We've chosen to, we'd rather have things like pins. Right. There's also the nice uh, German-style upright casts from, mm-hmm. from Bamberg. Right, right. That are, like, probably about the size of a pin. Right. And we prefer to promote it. Well, if you're going to do it on the bar, day, the pin is the size. Yeah, but we put it up, and we'd like to go through it in one night. That's the That's the best way to do it. And I, and I feel like the other systems, I, I feel like then then you're competing with, with draft, and uh, this is definitely worth another conversation, mm-hmm. but, I mean... It's 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 a big question. It's like what's the, what's the value of cask? If you can you know? do it
3: right, so that you don't have to worry about the quality going down and losing product and profits, I think if you're in the, I mean, you're a great beer bar. If you can offer cask conditioned ale on an ongoing basis, that's a point of differentiation between you and your competitors. And we're all looking for points of differentiation. Well, it's true. I mean, people come in and ask for it all the time. Right. And like we said, we've
2: chosen the, the tack of doing, you
3: know, once or one or two With, every couple of weeks if you have come down to baltimore i'll show you the toys and then you can make a decision
2: you know in new york there's some place like a dba mm-hmm. alex hall set up some systems mm-hmm. is that a similar system to what you're doing
3: i haven't seen those so i'm i'm not 100% sure although i mean what we're this is not rocket science it's just pure common sense but the fact that we're going to we're going to put it all together so that if you don't want to piece it together from this guy this guy or this guy here's something that works you know, we can send it up to you. Boom! There you go. You're in the cask
4: business, plug and play. Ken, are you
2: a fan of cask ales?
4: I do. There's, a, where I live in Boston. There's a very well-known uh, cask festival that I that I go to, put on uh, by NIRA. Right, we're doing and, that. And there's just a mouthfeel to to cask ale, that, right. that that just can't be can't be equaled I think out of a out of a bottle, or if it can, it's really really difficult to uh to do so yeah i do like this sometimes also you are dealing with lower lower carbonation makes them a little mm -hmm, more sessionable mm -hmm. uh in in general and the great thing about it just like the great thing about craft beer in general is every every cask is different and and there's just such variety that is uh, there is variety out there and you know cask is really the the embodiment of that as well Hugh, what do you just pour there
3: this is one we did this we're not doing this in 2013 so uh, this is our our below decks barley wine except in this particular instance it was aged for a year in Cabernet barrels so you can taste that it's great
4: yeah,
3: yeah it's pretty interesting stuff you, know, you got a lot of bit of the wood there's sort of that prune plum raisiny characteristic that comes from the Cabernet fruit um, I mean, talk about something that was that screams "pair me with cheese." This is right in that area, right there. But it's uh, it's just. Why don't you a... scream it? <laughs>
5: Pair me with cheese. <laughs>
4: was,
3: were, you, were you an actor when you were younger? Actually, I was. My degrees are both in my master's and my uh, undergraduate degree are both in theater. And are you from Baltimore originally? Uh huh.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, it's a great town. You know, uh, our friend Brian Strunka, he, he's got mm-hmm. the Gypsy brand in Stillwater. I know Brian, and he opened a bar, didn't he?
3: He did. He's got uh, it's called the Love and Regret, uh, and he's got that little pub over in the in the Canton part of town. So I haven't seen him in a while, but he's a what are fellow.
2: some other cool places in Baltimore? Go to
3: um, well, probably the number one beer bar in, in all of Baltimore is a place called Max's on Broadway. It's just an, it's an awesome beer bar. Uh, they literally just this past Valentine's Day weekend is when they do their uh, annual 72 hours of Belgium and they'll have in one place over the course of 3 days probably 350 to 400 different Belgian beers on tap it's amazing it's wow, truly it's amazing i mean he gets he gets i mean he starts getting one-offs from breweries that don't distribute in this country he'll he'll start working on next year's probably tomorrow uh, but it, that's an awesome event. Obviously, the Heavy Seas Ale House would be high on my list, um, and uh, there's, there's some great joints. Ale Wife's got a, got a presence down there as well, so good stuff. So Baltimore's a good town. Baltimore's a good town. Baltimore's becoming a better and better beer town all the time. It's been a, good, uh, it's been a nice town with a lot of neighborhoods for years, um, you know, we're like any other relatively major city. You've got your good stuff, and your not so good stuff. This year's been a great year for sports, so uh, so we're all pretty happy about that.
2: All right. Do you think that the being from Baltimore, does it inform your taste
3: in beer? Well, I don't think being from Baltimore has anything to do with my taste in beer. <laughs> well,
4: there, is, there is Natty Bo. Which, <coughs> which is absolutely well, well horrible. World famous.
3: <laughs> World famous and hasn't been made in Baltimore well, in 20 that's that's years, right. so... Uh, so, no,
2: but so you say. But you spent time in England when you were young. Yeah,
3: I first learned to drink. I was a college student that didn't like beer, and in 1974, I went to London to study theater, uh, and I walked into the pubs and I started drinking beer, and I said, "Damn, I like this. This is a whole lot better than what I got back in college." So, so that unfortunately was the beginning of a very slippery slope. Um, then what happened? Uh, how blue can I get on this radio? Get blue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so in any event, um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an acting student finishing grad school in 1980, and, and uh, my father calls me up and goes, okay, actor boy, what are you going to do now? And I say, hmm, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to go to New York, and what are you going to do in New York? I'm going to do whatever the other actor does in New York. I'm going to wait tables in 10 bar. And he said, okay, that's great. Um, why don't you come to Baltimore and wait tables in Ten Bar for me? As you know, I just opened this little bar, and you could get your fanny out of hock, and then you know, then you can go to New York after you're out of debt. That's not a bad idea. So, so that's what I did. So I show up in Baltimore. I've been back in Baltimore for. 20 minutes I walk into the bar there's my old man leaning at the bar he goes hey how you doing very good reaches in his pocket throws me the keys to the front door and as I catch him he goes okay don't fuck up he walks out the door and that's how I got in the goddamn bar business so that was the beginning of what ended up being as I said a very slippery slope so those of us and why is that a
2: blue story?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: you're talking blue states red states? no or no no, no. <laughs> anyway
4: you probably blew through a
3: lot of money that's right this that <laughs> year or two.
2: And you, and, you, and you did you develop your taste for beer when you had that bar
3: i did but i you know <clears throat> i'm i'm like i'm sure like you are and like you are and that is that once i found myself in that industry you know if you're going to be successful it's something you need to be a student of your industry so i decided that i was going to learn a whole lot about wine and a lot about beer and a lot about food and that served me well. I mean, as I, as I mentioned to you earlier, I'm, I've been doing the wine reviews on the NPR stations in Maryland for 24 years. That was a direct result of that. Um, and that's been, you know, so it's been a lot of fun. I mean, you know, learning about beer and wine and food and a whole bunch of, this is interesting. It's not like it's terrible work. So, uh, so I've enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun.
2: You you feel like an actor, you know, He's got a, a vest on, and you know his, his hair is combed just right. If you could see him, you'd be, you'd want to talk to him. And you're you're a good voice too. Well, thank you very much. So NPR, the what, the Baltimore NPR station. The What's ba- that? Uh,
3: there's uh, it's called uh, WYPR for your public radio. And then there's a uh, then there's a, a an Eastern. I just emptied my like, glass on the floor. <laughs> there. This is the uh, cheers. Is this the greater pumpkin? Greater pumpkin. Okay, this is this is it's one we make every year. Food, this this food is your food and your beer theme. This is your food and your beer theme, and this is the bourbon barrel aged pumpkin ale.
2: It does. It, it, there's a nice spice in there. It's yeah, a little yeah. assertive on, on the spice, the pumpkin spicing. Well, so the nose is nice. Oh, the
3: nose yeah. is great. And again, a, a little assertive on the yeah. pumpkin spicing, but put it with some food, and it stands up great. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to have this with uh, Thanksgiving pumpkin dinner, pork chop.
2: <laughs> Work well, yeah, works really well. I like Imperial Pumpkins; not a bad style. Uh-huh. It's mm-hmm. not a bad style.
3: It's funny. I'm not. I'm not a huge pumpkin ale fan, and I'm becoming a fan of the bourbon barrel stuff. But one of the things that we do with the bourbon barrels is we don't do anything for more than four, four or five weeks max, because we think if you leave it in the bourbon barrels for too long, it gets way too boozy. Um, so the less is more has been our approach. And when my brewers who insisted that we make a pumpkin beer. Came to me five or six years ago and said okay now we want to put some of that in these whiskey barrels I went, oh god this is gonna be horrible and i really liked it and this little beer's got its own little developing cult following so it's fun
2: no they're really tasting great let's uh we've got a few minutes left let's ask another question uh-huh. uh pick a few other breweries that, that you really like
3: okay and <clears throat>
2: also anyone else you think is doing a nice job with cascales
3: um okay, other breweries uh, that I have a lot of respect for um, victory is always high on my list uh, i've known those guys for a very long time um, Ron Barche, the princi- one of the principals at victory actually got his start uh, working at the other the number two brew pub that started in Baltimore so i've known him all which the way one was back. that that was called degroens um So I've known him all the way back to 1989 on all that stuff. I think they do really nice work, high-quality operation. Um, Other companies that I'm uh, particularly respectful of, I think the guys at Trobes are doing a really nice job. Uh, Obviously, Sam at Dogfish is doing a nice job. Um, Our our friends up in Frederick, which is just another part of Maryland, um, uh, Flying Dog, they're doing a pretty credible job. So those are a couple people right off. And I try to focus most of my energies on the quasi mid-Atlantic area. Um, so those are the ones that immediately come to, to the top of mind. In terms of the cask area, um, obviously Firestone Walker is a major uh, producer of cask ale, so I would uh, say that I've got a lot of respect for them and, and what they're doing with that program. You know, Fortunately, most of their stuff isn't coming out here, and fortunately, none of my stuff goes out there, so we're not kind of playing in the same space. Um, but that's certainly a company that I have a lot of respect for in that area.
2: And there, are there any rules for you about shipping your casks? And will you ship them in the summer? You no, know, we'll, we'll, we'll
3: ship them in the summer. Um, we, we don't really have any major issues with that. The only, the only rules that we have on our casks is um, the wooden ones. And that is that literally if we're going to do a wooden cask event, we'll drive them up, do the gig, and then we'll drive them back. Because if they, if they get... Dried out and the staves shrink and the barrel shot, Um, but that's fine because that gives us an opportunity to come up and do a gig and and work with some folks. Do you feel
2: like as long as the the refrigerated shipping and refrigerated warehouses, you're comfortable with. I don't really
3: think I'm. I'm really not that concerned about refrigerated shipping on our casks, and the primary reason for that is, okay, we make it. It goes into a temperature uh, controlled storage space. If that's going to come out of that for 48 hours. I'm not that concerned about it. If it was going to be something where I'm going to put it on on, on, on a container on a cargo ship for three weeks and, the uh, you know exposed to God knows what kinds of temperature, that's a different animal. 24 to 48 hours on a live beer, where I mean yeast is an antioxidant, so that I'm not I'm not that concerned about. I mean I guess yeah, if it's 112 degrees in the in the back of the truck, that might be an issue. Um, that's probably going to be initial more of an issue for, for filtered beer than it is for unfiltered beer. Why is that? Because, as I said, the yeast is an antioxidant. Um, for a short period of time, at the warmer temperature, the yeast is actually going to protect the beer from oxidation, whereas bottled beer that's been filtered uh, has no yeast to act as the antioxidant, and as the temperature gets, I forget what the exact ratio is, but uh, for every 5 degrees over 65 degrees, the rate of oxidation doubles. Um, so at 75 degrees, the rate of oxidation is double what it would be at 70 degrees. Um, that can be an issue for, an, uh, for a beer that's not protected by the presence of yeast.
2: You know, that's the coolest thing yeah. i heard in about three years. <laughs> 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 Thank you. Because you know, people always talk about, you know, the, the, I always thought that filtered beers were, were more stable. And, you know, you well, hear what the, they, the big breweries make those arguments right. for filtered beers.
3: Right. They, they are more stable. But, uh, you know, heat is never the friend of beer. So, and and the big IPAs that everybody loves, they are the most delicate of all the beers. I mean, you want those as fresh as you possibly can get them. Everybody thinks that, well, IPA wears like iron. Bullshit. You know, it needs to be kept cold and it needs to be consumed quickly. uh, Because otherwise, all those big floral hoppy aromas oxidize right down the crapper. Wow, that's a great point, man.
2: It's really great having you on, Hugh and Ken from Heavy Seas.
3: You're listening to Shop Till I Drop by Pamela Royal on the Heritage Radio Network wow.
2: Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is Jimmy Carboni. I'm live at City Winery. It's the heart of New York City Beer Week. New York City Brewers' Choice, the best event. It's our third year doing it, and we're here with one of the brewers, Jeff O'Neill from Peakskill. Um, he's got a great story to tell. He, he was a brewer at Ithaca Brewing, and now he's uh, with Peekskill up in the Hudson. So, uh, Jeff, tell us a little bit what you're doing at the new brewery and what you've been doing for New York City Beer Week.
5: Well, I'm really glad to say that um, we're more or less up to full speed at our place, at, uh, the new place that we spent last year building. Um, in Peekskill, just a block north of the Peekskill Metro North stop. Um, We opened around Christmas time and I think tomorrow I'm going to get up to 10 beers for the first time on draft and we're making some fun stuff uh, and using our cool ship every day that we brew. Um, So we're doing something that's a lot of fun and... uh, the site is really beautiful and it's a great day trip up from the city so hoping to drum up some some uh day tri- day trip traffic with uh our new york city beer week events last weekend we went of course to the opening uh party at galapagos which is a lot of fun and then saturday night we went to uh the third avenue alehouse which just opened six weeks or so ago is that right six weeks a little a longer minutes. ago. But, yeah. and, get,
6: and
2: Tim Stendles here, also from Union Beer, who, who, who helps rep uh, Peakskill. Tim, tell us about some of the highlights of Craft Beer Week so far.
6: Well, uh, this is the first time that Union Beer has had the opportunity to really sell Peakskill products. This, we used uh, uh, Craft Beer Week as a nice launching pad for for the brand in New York City proper. Um, so we're lucky enough to uh, to be working with Jeff and, and uh, Michael Benz and the other guys at Peekskill um, and so, honestly, trying some of his stuff has been the highlight of the, of the week for me so far. But I've been setting up a lot of events. Uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, tasting the fruits of my labor as I go to some of these events with all these specialty products that are making their way into New York City.
2: Tim, you're an awesome rep. I mean, you're more than just a beer rep. You're a home brewer and you organize some very cool events. What's coming up next for you?
6: Something called the Wild Things? Uh, yeah. Uh, where the Wild Beers are is May 19th at the Gutter uh, in Brooklyn. It's it's essentially a, a big bottle share. It's a collaborative event that people can use as a platform to try new sour beers, uh, to share their sour beers that they've been hoarding or keeping for however long. Uh, it, it essentially creates a venue for people to, to share these products and talk about sour beers and wild ales and and uh, and saisons farmhouse beers. Um, it's a lot of fun, and you get to try some crazy stuff that you didn't even know existed.
2: And talking about sour beers, let's go back to Jeff. Um, one one of the Things that people are really talking about are, are your sour beers and, and this cool ship that you're building. Tell us a little bit how you got started with that. That's really a, a good story. Most people in America don't really know about it, so tell us about the cool ship and your sour beers.
5: Well, we incorporated a cool ship as sort of our third brew house vessel in, the, in our process. So we don't use it just for um, beers that are intended to be sour, but sort of in addition to and in lieu of a, a whirlpool vessel. Um, so we're having a lot of fun using it. We're, we're running really, really uh, clean worts uh, because we're able to cast out into this cool ship that's very shallow, and the beers are turning out really super clean. Um, and as the weather warms up, Um, We're going to start actually using the Cool Ship for primary fermentation. Starting tomorrow for the first time, actually, we're hosting um, Jason Perkins from Allagash and Megan Parisi from Blue Jacket that's about to open in D.C. for a collaboration brew. Uh, Megan's also putting a Cool Ship in her brewery. And Jason's, the gag is sort of Jason's going to come and show us how to both make a white beer and uh, use a Cool Ship. So we're, uh, we're having a lot of fun, and it's a great time to be doing this. And thrilled to be at this event.
2: Well th- tell us more about the cool ship I mean what, what do you have to do to it has to be naturally spontaneous
5: yeast are you putting in yeast no, are you no, putting cobwebs in the ceiling no, from I think that's from a England or something about the actual vessel itself like it's a uh, not just for uh, wild fermentations or spontaneous fermentations, but it used to be how they would cool down work quickly before really refrigeration technology existed so uh, as you cast it out into that shallow sort of pan, it sheds heat like like nobody's business. And just in the 15 minutes that it takes us to flood it, uh, the temperature comes down almost 40 degrees. So it's really interesting. It, it ties in well um, not just to the very romantic uh, sour brewing that people are so infatuated with, but also historic American brewing. Like we, we make a brand called uh, Hop Common that's a San Francisco-style lager um, that one of the tales about... Uh, how the style was named was that it would make steam when they pumped the word up to the roof into their cool ship. So cool ships have been used a lot of ways uh, and are still used in German lager breweries, uh, German ale breweries, um, more often than you'd know, but there are very few in in the U.S. So we're using it more as a uh, day-to-day brew house vessel um, for all of our works, and it allows for quick settling and uh, dropping bright um, but we'll also start to do some as the weather warms up where we can do uh, fermentation in it we'll, we'll start to do that so uh,
2: another another thing I don't know about sour beer so do you have the same standards of sanitation and cleanliness in, when you're working with sour beers as you do your other beers or
5: you, do you have like cob I have
2: heard about people leaving no, cobwebs I mean, so from hundred have, years we ago we or something view, we
5: have this beautiful stone cellar in the in the building that I'm that I'm going to start filling with wine barrels um, and It's a different environment than the uh, very sanitary brewery that we have upstairs, but you still take the same precautions. Like you use sanitary technique when you move stuff around. Um, Barrels themselves are uh, somewhat open environments for oxygen uptake and so forth. So it's sort of two different styles of brewing, but you use the same precautions all the time because you want to keep your clean side clean. But we will, that said, we will sequester long-term sour stuff into our s- proper cellar.
2: And Tim, uh, you know, for your Where the Wild Things At event, I, I always say where the wrong. Where the wild beers are. Yeah. So are you just doing uh, commercially made sour beers? Are people doing uh, homebrew as well?
6: Um, well, for the first few years, we did allow homebrew, but uh, there are some legal issues that go along with that. So we can't allow homebrew anymore, unfortunately. Um, you know if something sneaks in there's not a whole lot we can do about it but um, we try to we try to keep everything to commercially made uh, sour beers wild ales saisons, uh just in the farmhouse bent uh, and that's that's essentially the premise of the of the whole of the whole event
2: well we're looking forward to that and chief they, they, they know you as chief but uh, just say a few more words about about the new brewery and, and how you can get there before we well, sign off. We
5: would love for any and all of you to come and see what we're doing uh, in Peekskill. We're right on the waterfront just a block north of the um, Peekskill train station, which you can access on the Hudson line out of Grand Central Station every hour at the slowest. It's oftentimes trains are every 20 minutes. So please come and visit us and see what we're doing because I think it's a special a uh, very different thing that we're doing up there from what most uh, facilities are like. So, well,
2: thanks. Thanks for coming down to uh, New York City Brewers Choice. It's the middle of uh, New York City Beer Week. I always keep muffling it up. Tell you, tell ex- you something.
5: I want to say how excited I am about Scotty doing the keynote tonight. I think the first time they did this event, we had to import a keynote speaker, and now we have you know a legitimate homegrown. Uh, talent that's really been along and driven for a large part this ride that has been the last few years in New York City and I'll say to anybody who's listening that doesn't live or drink in New York City if come visit us because you it's something else and I I say that having been almost everywhere Um, so thanks for having us to your event it's it's a great great event great uh, great beer week
2: Thanks, thanks, Jeff. That's a great closeout. I'll just say uh, thanks for coming to New York City Brewer's Choice. We're here at City Winery. You can hear everybody setting up right now, you know, glasses clinking, and the place is filling up. Most of the brewers are here, most of the foods. We're going to have a great night, so I'll sign off. Thanks for listening And This is Jimmy Carboni, Beer Sessions Radio.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website,